This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for Thursday, July 6th. We are here with No Film School tech editor, Yaro Altunin. Hello, hello. And I'm Gigi Hawkins. We're missing Charles Hain this week because he is on vacation with his family. And Charles, we miss you. But this week, we are covering a bunch of things, including the Tribeca Games and Immersive Experiences, a recap on VR, AR, AI, and every other single little immersive storytelling thing you can imagine. We're going to have updates from Yaro on Cinegear and an mm-hmm. update on a company that we love that literally is on fire and needs our help. And finally, we're going to have a little summer movie preview. So first up, Games and Immersive Experience at Tribeca. Now, we all know that the Tribeca Festival dropped the word film, and they are leaning into everything from podcasts to gaming to these immersive experiences. And actually, this was my first time doing one of these get on the floor and experience this type of storytelling. Have you ever done an immersive experience, Yaro? Maybe like a like an AR thing or like a like a escape room. I was going to say, it feels a lot <laughs> like escape rooms in a digital okay. space. I, 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 it's very serendipitous. We were having this conversation. I just did an escape room the other week. Like wait, wait what was the theme? It was very Stranger Things-esque, but it was, it was like Stranger Things light adjacent, you know, discount okay. Stranger Things. It was still a lot of fun. Very like 80s horror, sci-fi. And we didn't make it. We were like oh, no. one puzzle short. And we we ran out of time, but is it like that? And so I guess my I have a question too. I have a lot of questions about this. So Tribeca isn't anymore, is not anymore, isn't named anymore. The no Tribeca longer Film named the Tribeca Film Festival. It is the Tribeca Whoa. Festival. They dropped film. They're celebrating film, but they're celebrating podcasting and these immersive gaming experiences. And they've really just expanded it to be more of a big picture storytelling venue to be celebrating this innovation in this space. And I honestly didn't know what I was getting into when I signed up for to be taken through the floor, the immersive gaming floor. I wasn't able to do every single project because of Mm -hmm. limited time, but I was able to experience each type of project and each of them were very different. So I'll take you through a couple that stood out to me. The first is called The Pirate Queen, A Forgotten Legend. And this is a VR game set in 19th century China that actually won Mm. the for the category. It is executive produced and starring Lucy Liu. It's directed by Eloise Singer. And it also stars the actor Orion Lee, who you Mm. may know from the film First Cow, who is also present at the festival. And this really did feel like it was a storytelling setting with an escape room experience. So I put on my VR set 
And they had me stand in a circle so I wasn't like, you know, walking around the entire floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's interesting is, have, have you ever put on, I'm blanking on the name of the VR set, the one where you, they're famous for the game that's like the slow motion shooting game where you have to move your body away from the Oh, bullets, super hot. Super hot. So yeah, yeah. I, I want to confess I'm a raging gamer. Oh. And so, yeah, it, I know exactly what you're talking about. I own a Quest, Quest 2. Okay. And may get the PSVR two. We'll see. Added. I don't know why I need to. But yeah. Continue, so I please. am. I am not a gamer, and I think mm-hmm. that this particular project speaks to how it can be friendly to people who are not. I mean, I couldn't even think of the name of the headset. So I was mm-hmm. able to put on, and it did take me a minute to like acclimate to the world because you're literally thrown into a pirate ship. And was you're, that your first you're time used- wearing headsets. No, I've done it before. I actually remember playing back at the Wall Street Journal, playing a a VR game with zombies coming at me, and it felt mm. so visceral and so mm-hmm. real that I that I was like ha- having a screaming reaction in the office, and as like yeah. the journalists are running around, and to me the zombies are coming at me. And I played mm. uh, Super Hot. My little mm-hmm. brother taught me that. Same thing. I have uh, this very visceral reaction, so I was actually a little nervous about putting on something that would put me in the middle of a ship. But yeah. what I liked about the Pirate Queen, in addition to the like the storytelling woven into it, is that it was I was able to use the hand element to sort of move throughout the ship, and there was a lot of actually like swinging from ropes, and it was very satisfying to see the progress m- made through mm-hmm. that experience, and then get to know the world. Like I felt like I was exploring, and it brought me back to sort of my limited gaming experience of playing the Nancy Drew you know, first player games back in the day. So that was a one that really stood out to me from the VR perspective and was recognized at the festival. Can but I the, ask some yeah. quick follow-ups? Not to keep interrupting, I have so many questions. So is it a game or is it like an interactive movie? Or both? I it, I don't know how to put it in a box just yet. Okay. And I'm very curious to our listeners who did play the game mm-hmm. if it was leaning into more of an interactive movie which actually brings me to the next one, which to me, I do feel a little more comfortable putting it into the box of interactive whodunit movie. Whodunit mm-hmm. seems like a little bit of a weird thing, but there is a mystery in this storytelling. This is a game called Monsterama. Monstrama. Okay. And mm-hmm. it's you you enter and you're in a museum of monsters and you have a a host, this sort of like flying doctor machine. It's a very steampunky world that's guiding you around. And so immediately it's this immersive storytelling experience and you're going in there and they're having you choose which monster you're going to engage with. There's all these options. And as you're in the waiting room, this little creature latches on to your wrist and it's Mm -hmm. like a little snatcher alien that's on there sucking your energy and and then it starts to talk to you. And that's okay. when I really started to like not know where the story <laughs> was going. Uh-huh. And I don't want to spoil it, but it takes you on an adventure and you become like a co-conspirator with this little creature. And you find out that in this museum of monsters, there's more, there's more to just the collection of these monsters. There's actually something a little nefarious going on. And Ooh. so you become part of that storytelling experience. That felt like a movie where there's a first act, I'm entering a new world. Then there's this fun and games element. And then there's this climactic, how am I going to save the day? 
I I think that's really cool. I I I've been you know dabbling in VR for a little bit, and I find it very meditative. The gaming aspect of it is good; it's fun, but it's also utterly exhausting. You're you know moving and shaking with this you know heavy piece of gear on your head, right? And right. it's a strain in your eyes because you have you know television, many televisions in front of your eyes. And I've never, I guess I've never experienced like an interactive movie you know, with, with a VR headset, but I never, I never saw it being anything in the film world. I've always been like, this is the the new, the the future of gaming. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always has, it always has been, at least to me. Yeah. So seeing kind of a different version of that is really interesting. I think there's also something to be said about the fact that the gaming world is exploding as Mm -hmm. the filmmaking world is in you know, a less than stable place. What's um, a nice so word for shambles? Think, yeah. I try not to think too much about it because <laughs> it gets me down. But mm-hmm. but if there are ways that we can carry over the cinematic storytelling that we love into whether it's VR or these other formats, like there there are other ways that we can continue to tell stories if things are getting tight on the filmmaking side. Which actually brings yeah. me to the AR experience that mm-hmm. I was able to to play with. So this was a an AR phone-based experience. So they handed me a phone and it oh, was fun. interacting okay. with Snapchat in partnership with, I believe, Fortune. Mm, and okay. like the magazine? There were these Yes, exactly. Okay. And I love money stories. I think stories about money and are are high stakes and don't oh, okay. seem always sexy, but I think they're sexy and cool so like and interesting. Panama Papers kind of stuff. There, there was a little bit of that. They actually these were more like money profiles and talking about oh, these like unique okay. things, like following a family that sort of exploded their fortune with crypto mm-hmm. and and a woman who figured out that she was getting paid like. 25% less than her male coworkers, but didn't know until she started negotiating. And mm. they used AR to tell these stories. It still felt like we were in kind of like AR 1.0, 2.0, because mm-hmm. I don't know why these stories had to be told in AR. I don't know yeah. if we were fully yeah. flexing into that experience. And, and I'm very curious how this will pan out, especially as we're seeing the print, for example, in such a strange place. But I feel like if if print can incorporate AR, so say you buy the New York Times, you get it in print, and then you can bring out your phone and have an interactive chart through AR. Like that's kind well, of something that fun. I wanted and I yeah. wanted a little more interactivity with that. You know, it's interesting that I as the, as technology keeps evolving, like AR, VR, I was looking for another 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 example, but I can't think of one. But for example, like real those reality. two things, yeah, real reality, IRL, and and we're as creatives, we're trying to figure out how to utilize those tools, and so we keep mm-hmm. trying to cram in traditional storytelling into those tools. You know, we try to keep yeah. telling a movie in the VR space where someone can walk around, and it's like, well, you know, maybe that's not it. Maybe it is a bit more gamified. And in AR, maybe it's not really a storytelling tool, but like something that expands your connectivity. And I think, you know, that's what might happen with Apple because Apple just released recently, announced, I'm sorry, the Vision Pro, which is not what I expected, but, you know, cool. Have you seen it? Mm, I haven't. Okay. So it looks goofy. It's, man, it's like a really tiny VR headset. 
with a screen on the front that can look at your eyes on the inside and then project those eyes on the outside on a screen. But they're, they have like a depth to them. So it feels like they're your eyes, but they're not, which is I an interesting kind of like... Look at this right now. Yeah, please do. Look it up. It, it's, it's weird. because So if you see someone's eyes through the thing, not real eyes. That's a, that's a screen. But they've packed in... Apple has packed in a lot of really cool technology. There's eye tracking. There's hand tracking. The two different lenses that you're looking through. They're individual screens, one for each eye. They're like the resolution is like 4K and your eye can only perceive, I think like two and a half per eye. I don't know. There's some number there, but high resolution lenses, tracking up the wazoo, really good audio. And the interesting thing is, is this tool is built more for AR, you know? And mm. and if you, whomever's watched the, what do you call it? The WWDC keynote, they never mentioned virtual reality. They never mentioned augmented reality it was like right. spatial computing you know so it's 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 like their own version of it but you know apple does that for a reason to kind of, kind of keep keep their hands on the on the conversation you know they can control the conversation if they they label it the way they do but i'm seeing how ar is moving in that direction of being a tool more than a storytelling you know a storytelling outlet i could be wrong you know like remember remember choose your own adventure books did you ever read Vaguely. those? Yeah, I, I read know those as them. A kid. I didn't. Yeah. I can't say I was alive in the fifties <laughs> reading them, but well, I, I'm not in my fifties, you know. But I, I wasn't I, alive in the fifties. But I read them in in the nineties. But it was like you know, you'd read the first paragraph, not the first paragraph. I'm sorry, the first chapter. You make a choice. You go to like, you know, page ninety five, and then you'd read that part. So it's basically like it's gaming, you know, where you are playing like an RPG and you have different you know, avenues of conversations you can have and different choices you can make. Or for example, for example, there's a company called Telltale something. They make interactive like movies within certain franchises. They did The Walking Dead. They did mm-hmm. Batman, I think. I and and I haven't played them because that's not my 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 cup of tea, but that's what you would do. You'd watch the movie, make an interaction interactive kind of choice and it goes in a different direction. Telltale games, I think. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And they did The Walking Dead, which was a big hit for them. I digressed a little bit. I, Rewinding I think you, back to... Whoop, whoop, I think whoop, you bring up the, the best takeaway from this experience is how important it is to lean into the the format that you're telling the story in. And mm-hmm. the the times that I found myself most engaged is when it was the right story, broadly speaking, for the tool that I was using. And I think the question of story and tool is something that we'll have to keep examining. Yeah. Which brings me to the last one that I'll talk about, which mm-hmm. is an AI-built film called In Search of Time. And it's sort of this exploration of memory and family and time and identity. And as I understand, they used a combination of AI and okay. traditional film techniques. And it had that sort of texture of the AI built things where, you know, you're seeing like something moving and flickering and Mm -hmm. it was beautiful. And I guess I'm glad it exists. If it was therapeutic to somebody, I don't know if it was for me though, because I don't know why that story had to be told in AI. 
Yeah. I when you said it was made in AI, I was like, oh, it's fully made. Like it's all AI. And then I was like, why that's am I, I getting stomach? It would be thinking yeah. about this. It, I, that's interesting. I you know, AI is such a weird thing to talk about because like it is the future. It, it's gonna be supporting so many tool sets, and it currently is. I mean, open up any editor and you have AI supported tools for cutting, color grading, organizing mm-hmm. your footage, audio. Black Magic has a thing. I think we talked about this on the on the NAB podcast where they have this thing where they'll like it's a it's a background noise remover. And I'm using air quotes. I know people can't mm-hmm. see me, but I'm using air quotes. Quote unquote background audio remover. But what it does is it scans the audio, deletes it, and just rebuilds the voice that it scanned using AI. Which is, which is insane. crazy and cool. And a tool yeah. that's like, mm-hmm. that's where I think like where it gets a little murky for me is I am here if it's a tool, mm-hmm. but when mm-hmm. it's sort of like overstepping or in, in lieu of the creative, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if it's for me. Again, yeah. I, I'm i trying to be open and receptive to it, especially when it's used in an ethical way mm-hmm. and used mindfully. But I think that it's, I think that this film, this short film, this AI built short short film is a stepping stone to greater storytelling Mm. using AI. And I'm curious where it's going. And I think we have to appreciate what it is at this moment of time. Uh, And it's called In Search of Time. So maybe there's something a little meta happening there. I'll have to look at it because I'm curious about how people are using the tools. We we covered a a filmmaker named Paul Trio. I I believe his name is Paul. I have to look this up. so bad with names. Trillo. Trio or Trillo? One of the two. He does a lot of really interesting things with AI. You can find him at Paul Trio, uh, Trillo, two L's, on Instagram. And you could see some of the cool things he does. And what he does is he generates assets that he then superimposes into live action plates. And it's really cool. You know, recently he made an entire short film with AI where he generated individual frames, then kind of animated those frames using AI. And then did a, a narration over that. Gorgeous film. It looks like a dream. Feels like a dream. It feels very AI. And you know he's using it as a tool, but he's not using it to generate art. He's using it to craft his art. If that makes any yeah. sense. If that's a, if there's a difference to you know. To- I think there is, and I think that that I'm here for. Did you see right? the opposite of this? I'd say it's a nightmare. The the baseball generated AI video. No. Oh my gosh. It's I'll put it in the show notes. It is the funniest thing I've seen. I'm still getting a kick out of these AI generated like mishaps. And and yeah. I know things are weird and scary in that space, but I'm gonna be let myself be delighted by it. There was a commercial that was AI generated for like a beer or something, and it was like a party in a backyard with barbecue and like everybody was eating pizza and and it was it it felt it looked terrifying because everybody was like melting into each other. Like the, yeah, the it's pizza like their became hands are the on mouth. fire and their hands yeah. are hot dogs. And, and someone was like, "Oh man, creatives better, filmmakers better be be careful. The future is here." I'm like, "Have you did you watch the same video I watched? Because one of these things is not like the other. You know, like that is not a movie. That is not content. That is like." Pure terror, but maybe I'm getting old. Maybe I'm an old man screaming into the <laughs> sky and being like, ah, rah, 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 rah. back in my day, uphill both ways. 
Well, using that at, as our transition, let's talk about your updates from Cinegear so you don't have to scream those into the sky. You can scream those into our ears. Oh, man. So for those who don't know, Cinegear is like NAB. And for those who don't know what that is, NAB is a giant tech conference that covers technology for the entertainment industry, radio, broadcast. I mean, AI now, like backend storage. I mean, it's huge. If you ever need a piece of tech for entertainment or for, you know, like managing a like a database of video. But Cinegear is the like the distant cousin, regular cousin of NAB. <laughs> not 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 affiliated at all, but like, you know, conceptually. But it's a trade show about film technology. So like only for movies, only for for TV. You go if you, you know, work in, in any of those industries, that's where you would go for, you know, lighting, cameras, cranes. And we did a little bit of exploring at Cinegear. We met some great folks. We we had a little interview that we did with cinematography cinematography for actors, which is a wonderful program that teaches actors how to be more acquainted with the language of cinematography. So if they show up on set, you know, and someone's like, "Hey, we're throwing on a fifty, you know, we're gonna go tilt from here and go into there and do that," you know, I'm butchering what I'm trying to say, but. An actor should understand, like, how would they look at a, on a fifty millimeter lens? Yeah. If they tilt the camera, what's it going to do to their, you know, frame? Or, anyways, talked with them. We had a, a cool interview. We explored some things, but you know, it's interesting how because cameras are so good now, the difference mm-hmm. between the different brands is just brand loyalty. You can go to any company and pick up any camera and shoot an incredible movie with it. And I'm I'm really worried about what that's going to do to those different brands, especially camera mm-hmm. companies that only focus on like a camera. Yeah. Like if nobody cares about, if things are so good that nobody cares what camera you shoot on, what do you do? How do you choose? Yeah. I mean, do, do is this yeah, how, how we, was this the thing that the people working at the companies were sitting at the bar freaking out about? Just like, like a couple pulling drinks their in. hair out, stressed. Yeah, uh, like we're like freaking mom. out about AI writing our scripts, and they're like, "All <laughs> oh, oh, the cameras are so good, they're I, so you know damn what? good." I think everyone thinks they make the best camera. Hmm. They're like, "We make the best camera," and I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, they're all really the best camera, you know." But I, I think the the differentiating factor is going to be like, oh, God, it's going to sound so dumb. It's going to be vibe, you know. Like when you pick up a camera, you either like, oh, cool, it's the Fuji camera or it's the mm-hmm. red camera. It, it it has its own certain vibe, and you use it for different things, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I I can't I can't answer that right now. But we'll see how it you know evolves after Black Magic releases whatever they're releasing next because they released a a new 12K at NAB and it was fine. It was made for Netflix and and it's mm-hmm. just a one small change. But nothing at Cinegear. And they usually shake up the market quite a bit. Yeah. This past year for 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 us, for me, it was Sony. Sony released a Super 35 sensor version of the FX3. They called it the FX30 for $1,400, which is really affordable. Sheep. And it's directly, it's in direct competition with Blackmagic. Hmm. Because they have a $1,400 camera or a $1,200 camera, but it's micro four thirds 
And then in the next step up is, I think, 1800, and that's the 6K, which is the same sensor size as the FX30, but doesn't have autofocus, doesn't have low light capabilities, doesn't have body stabilization. So we'll see how it goes. I, it's, but for me, the coolest thing that I saw at Cinegear wasn't, wasn't a camera, wasn't a lens. Some great lenses, though, by the way. It was called Luminarch. And so Luminarch. Do, you, do you know what is what's, what a electronic variable ND filter is? I do not. Okay. Do you know what an ND filter is? I do not. I, I know I've heard it before. Okay. But this is, so, I sometimes shut down when it comes to like thinking about the tech of it because I'm it, like, it's scary. It's too yeah. much. It's too mm-hmm. much. As a writer director, I get overwhelmed and I just like, you know, and, and I think that <laughs> I used to think that I needed to know all of it. Mm-hmm. And then I started working with a DP, uh, multiple DPs who have always been closing the gap. And then mm-hmm. I learn when I need to know. And I think mm-hmm. my job is to know a little about a lot. So I need to know more about this so I know a little about it. Well, so an ND filter is called a neutral density filter. And it's basically sunglasses for your lens. You put it in front of your lens. It removes the amount of light going into your, into your camera, onto your sensor. And then you can basically open the lens a bit more. You can do a faster f-stop, not have to you know, change your other settings like shutter speed or ISO, which you should never do. Set those as to what they need to be. Don't touch them. So the idea is that you use ND filters and aperture to get proper exposure. Mm-hmm. And so a variable ND filter is basically two, what do you call them? CPL filters. Words are escaping me today. Anyways, they're... To be they're fair, it's very polarizers. hot on a there Friday afternoon. So. It is. It's summer is coming to Los Angeles. Circular polarized filters, which polarize, which like reflect light. So not important. You put those two together, you get an ND filter that you can increase the density of, right? So an electronic ND filter, a variable ND filter, is basically that concept of increasing density, but it's all electronic. So like a frosted window that is like, you know, goes from clear to frosted, like that kind of technology, I'm assuming. So you can kind of dial in a perfect amount of sunglasses for your camera. And so those are built into like Canon cameras. I think Sony has one. Sometimes they're, you know, individual plates that slide up and down. But I think Sony has one that you can kind of fine tune. Anyways, forget all that. Not important. What Luminarch is, it's a variable density diffusion panel. So you know like that like frosted paper that you get in rolls and you cut it up and you put it in front of a light and diffuses the light? Yeah. So imagine that, but it's like a four by four panel and it's like hard plastic, same kind of diffusion material, but you can variably tune it from clear to like a how what I've, I don't know what the, the the strongest density is, but it takes that technology from, you know, when you frost a window like automatically on and off, same thing, but you dial it in. And I think that's the coolest thing ever. It's only like $1,300 for smaller panels that are like three by three or four by four. And then they go up to about like two grand, give or take, for like a bigger, bigger panel. Wow. And it's expensive. Yeah. You know, you can buy the diffusion paper for like 20 bucks or, you know, 50 bucks, but it's, it's waste. But that, you you know, know, you have to be throwing it out constantly, recycling it. Then you have bits and bobs. I don't know if you know about that garage in the valley that somebody 
people, there was this little business of selling the re, like remains of that and the, it just closed down and it's so sad. Oh my um, God, I didn't know about but that. so this takes actually, this sounds like an investment that is pretty green for production. Yeah. yeah I feel like somebody's going to be like, no, you know, the batteries <laughs> or something, it's chemicals. I mean, it sounds green because it's reusable, but I think what makes this stand out from paper is when you put it up, it's there. Yeah. You don't have to futz with it. You don't have to put more or down to swap or whatever. You put it up, you put it on a light stand, you know, you bag it, you put a battery on it, it'll run for 18 hours, and then you tune in the diffusion that you need. But because it's tunable, you can also change the diffusion on the fly as you're recording to do awesome, like cool, like, you know, visual effects. Cause you can go from cool. soft light to hard light. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever, you know, cause you can't do that with paper. You know, I want to try it out. By Christian Bale. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds it's awesome. Cool. We tried it out at Cinegear. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It's an active diffusion system. Would they let us play with it? I'm actually actively trying to set up a meeting with with the with the gang at Luminarch. And would you like to go with me when they when they? Sure. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll go because they're up in North Hollywood somewhere, and uh, we'll we'll go. We'll make our way over there despite the heat, and <laughs> and we'll make right. the pitch because it just sounds yeah. like a cool, a very practical thing to play with, a time saver, mm-hmm. a way mm-hmm. to dial in mm-hmm. your look. And mm-hmm. as I spend more time on set, I realize that if you can. If you can make the light work for you, it makes your, yeah. it just up levels the production quality and you're just like, yeah. damn, that's a good It's, it's job. one of those tools that like, it's like the iPad. The iPad came out and you were like, why do I need a tablet? What's a tablet? Why is this weird piece of technology? Like, why does it exist? And now I have one and I, and I use it all the time for just stuff, you know? Do you read it's scripts those- on your iPad? I did sidebar. Ooh, ooh, we should do like a sidebar segment. Used to. And then I was like, I hate reading these because I used to read them at night. It hurt my eyes. Mm-hmm. It's a bright light. I switched to something called a remarkable tablet. Oh. And that is an e-ink tablet. It's not a reader per se, because you can mm-hmm. you have a pen with it, you can draw on it, you can make mark like markings onto PDFs, you can download books, you can, you know, there's like grid lines built into it or like, you know, you can generate. It's, it's like a rudimentary document editor and previewer. Previewer? Previewer? It's working. Previewer. It's working there for we me. Go. <laughs> Whatever the word is. And uh, I lost my train of thought. Well, you just Remarkable fixed tablet. my problem because I did not want to get an iPad to read mm. scripts on. I've been reading on a Kindle, which means I take the PDF and it's shrunken down. So I'm reading mm-hmm. this sort of like micro font. But no, no, no. I'm because I read scripts in bed. Honestly, it's the best mm-hmm. thing to be reading yeah. before bed. You can do it all in one session. Mm-hmm. Puts me to sleep. I just finished Minority Report. What a damn good script. Thank right. you, Scott Frank, for that. Mm. And, but I am like squinting my eyes and I'm like, this can't be good. Yeah. This can't be good. So the only issue with an e-ink tablet, e-ink tablet is... The refresh refresh rate's a little janky. So if you're going through like a billion pages really, really fast, it'll go slow. You'll have to, you know, it slows you down. It's all grayscale, right? So you can't do like, you can do highlighting, you can do pen, you can do pencil, but it's grayscale. So you can't do like pink and red and whatever. I'm okay. Uh, yeah. And, you know, what do you need it for? Why, why do you need a gazillion colors? You have two. Exactly. exactly. Gradients of two. 
And then it's also, but there's, it, it's not illuminative, emulative. It doesn't look, you know, it's not, there's no light there. There's no light source. Blast you with light and keep yeah. you up. And- so if you're, at, if you're sitting at night reading a script, you, there's no light around, you can't see it. It's like the, the original Game Boy, you know, you had to like yeah. find a light source. So it, it needs a light source, its own light source, but it's easier on the eyes. I love it. it battery power is great. It's lightweight. I can, I can, I make all my edits on it. Then you can just throw those back onto your computer, reference them, get a remarkable tablet, everyone. It's amazing. The remarkable two is out right now, which is better, apparently. Okay, remarkable two. Now, mm. one thing right before we started recording the podcast, you were mm-hmm. telling me about this company that you're super excited about. And then you went online oh. and read the most insane news. <laughs> yeah. In real time. So we're kind of reacting yeah. and still processing in the mm-hmm. moment. But tell us about the company, the news, and what we can do. So the other thing that I found at Cinegear Gear was a company out of the UK called Filmsticks. They're eventually making their way, hopefully, to the United States. And they work with a gentleman out there who makes custom film slates with like custom artwork. And, and I, this is like what I wanted to talk about before we found out the news. Spoiler alert, the news is their warehouse and office burned down, so they're rebuilding. We'll get to that. Super sad. We'll get to that. But I, I, I always thought a slate was something that was necessary, but you could do without. It doesn't need to be fancy. And then I talked to this guy, and he's like, yeah, you know, I, I build custom slates for like 150 bucks. You know, I do custom artwork. I print them out. Like, you know, and I, and I looked at them, and, and some of them were from Marvel movies that he did. He did some for Asteroid City, Wes Anderson. There we go. He did yeah. some for Wes Anderson which I can't talk about, but they're really cool. And it, I, it brings such a level of like flavor to the project when you can kind of see that in front of every shot, you bring it out and, you know, it, it's, it's such a pivotal moment that transforms a set into like a scene. And I think slates are not only technically important because, you know, you need to slate every shot. If you're not slating every shot, if you're using your hands, stop it. Don't, don't do that. You're moving too fast. Slow down. Properly slate everything so your editor can't, you know, won't pull their hair out. Saved thousands, maybe even millions of hours yeah. for editors. Please slate properly with a proper slate. They're not expensive. And so, yeah, and Filmsticks works with this gentleman who does custom art. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do custom art on my slates for every project from now on. Because it, it like adds a little legitimacy. It's sexy. It's, it's, you know, it, it makes it your own, you know, like you put so much effort into the script, into a pitch deck, into like everything else, like the poster, the slate should be the same because the slate is the poster for the crew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyways. A morale. It's something that we can like hang our hat on and, and gather Mm -hmm. us around the project. I think that's Mm -hmm. great. Exactly. Yeah. So filmsticks.co UK company. I'm sure there's a company out here in Los Angeles or wherever you're, you know, based that makes good, you know, clapper boards. Yeah, what where are your, film to our listeners, where where do you get your your clapper boards from? Yeah. You can get film tools, film tools, film tools has some great ones. There's a couple like mom and pop shops in Los Angeles that do that do them. But what really I like kind of piqued my interest with film sticks, the company, is their clapper boards, their little clapper sticks, the things that go snap. Uh, mm-hmm. Before a before a, a take, is they're acrylic. They're not wood. And and uh, you know, I had some friends with me. They're like, "Oh no, wood's the best. Like your your, your clapper board has to be have wooden sticks." And this guy's like, "No, because 
man, I wish I knew the pitch that he he gave me. But the thing about acrylic that they make them out of is they see and see them. They don't warp over time. It's not like it's not wood. You know, you can you can drop it underwater. It it, it lasts longer. It makes a better sound. They will put a magnet in there. So it kind of snaps together. They have a whole like chest rig where you can kind of wear it on your back for 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 people that that do that professionally. Super cool. So not that expensive either. I think like what fifty bucks to like eighty bucks for depending on the size. Just so you guys know, they are putting together a GoFundMe for mm. recovery after the fire. And for I'm looking at a picture of the fire, and it, it, is it bad? You, there's no oh, bouncing no. back from this. So. As a small business in the film industry, what a wonderful mm-hmm. way to come together and support one of those. Mm-hmm. One that is clearly a passionate about the stories that they're telling. They're mm-hmm. designers and they're making things that they think industry professionals want and need and they're passionate about it. So yeah, let's let's help them out. We'll put this in yeah. this link in the in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bought one of their clapper boards at Cinegear. And a little insert slate is amazing. Like I have a $50 slate from Film Tools. Miles, the, the difference is, is, is night and day. Um, I have a to, very janky one from Amazon that yeah. I regret everything about it. It doesn't erase. <laughs> it's just gross looking. Oh, and they also come with a pen that is a dry erase marker with refillable modules. Wow. It's it's and they they didn't come with instructions, so I pulled a module out. Ink went everywhere. I ruined a lot of stuff in my house. But yeah, don't do that. So yeah, film sticks burnt down, most likely an accident. That's a joke. It's definitely an accident. They're <laughs> going to be hopefully up, you know, up and running somehow in some capacity in the next two three two weeks to three months. You can get a clapperboard on filmsticks.co right now as a pre order. That will go a long way to support them. So do give them some love because they make some really good gear and everybody needs some sticks. Everybody needs some sticks. If you're not, if you're not clapping before or after a shot, you're doing it wrong. You're moving too fast. You are. Yeah. You need to examine a lot of things in your life if you're not clapping before or after. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Now, as we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about this very exciting summer and it kicked off for me going to theaters last Sunday. I went to like mm-hmm. an 8.30 p.m. movie AMC with my Stubbs Pass shout out to my three movies every week and I saw no hard feelings and the theater was packed and it felt mm-hmm. so good to be in a packed theater laughing and it just got me excited for summer yeah. movies. So yeah. I know you're seeing Indiana Jones this weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm saving it for the morning of 4th of July because what better way to start <laughs> celebrating America than going to a 9.30 a.m. screening of Indiana Jones. It's um, What else? Are, yeah. It's. I think it is. I think it's yeah. the best thing we can do is honor... Harrison Ford. <laughs> Harrison. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Are you going to do a double feature of Oppenheimer and Barbie? I... I think I have to. I mean, those are my <laughs> two a, jams. There's, folk, there's folks doing a triple feature of Barbie, Oppenheimer, and Mission Impossible. That's a marathon. That's, I think I, that's a day. <laughs> I, I was going to throw a Barbie party leading up to it. Sadly, I'm going to a wedding in Utah mm. during the premiere weekend. So my plans were 
thrown out the window. Dashed. Dashed. Glad my friends are getting married. Sad for my Barbie experience. But I do have bright colored nails specifically. I was like, it's the summer of Barbie. So it, we're going it, and all You in. know what? I, I, I didn't watch the trailer when it dropped and I finally watched it and I was like, huh, that is a very interesting take. Yeah. On, on the Barbie. No, it was, it's very, how can I describe it? It felt Freshing? a little Tim, Tim, Tim Burton, you know, like in a weird yeah. sort of way. Like, or oh, like a little Caroline. Car- Car- Caroline? Coraline? Cor- Coraline. There we go. Like that's oh. not right. You know, it felt a little Coraline. It felt a little like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. Not, no, God, not Nightmare on Elm Street. The, <laughs> with Jack Skelton. I can't get uh, Nightmare straight. Before Christmas. Like Nightmare these other worlds. Yeah. I nightmares. love that take. Right? Yeah. I love that take. I, I feel but, like I'm in safe hands with Greta Gerwig as director and Greta and Noah Baumbach as writers. And mm. I feel pumped for the stacked cast. And I've been yeah. reading all about the set design. I mean, they had a piece in Architectural Digest. They're going all out with promoting this film. So they must mm-hmm. be confident about it as well. It's very, it's, it makes me very excited. It's what are you weird... looking forward to most? I don't know. You don't have to choose. You don't have to choose. Yeah, well, I mean, like Oppenheimer, yes. And I have a like a a, a really interesting, unique relationship with Nolan because I love his movies, but it feels like like a like a saga every time I go. And then there's always you know some things you have to kind of deal with, like for example his audio mixing, which he has a you know the right to do it the way he does. But sometimes you sit there and you're like I can't hear what anybody's saying. And it's it, uh, here's a funny story. I went and saw Tenant in a drive-through because it was, it was during the pandemic. And the way the audio was mixed for the car, I could hear all the dialogue perfectly. Um, and then I went inside at IMAX like a week later and I was like, huh? Who? What did you say? But because I knew what the dialogue was, I could understand everything, which was funny. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for Oppenheimer. Mission Impossible, of course. But, you know, it's getting a little exhausting. You know? Dune is going to be fun. When is Dune coming out? Is that a summer movie? Don't know. You know what? It's a summer movie for me. Yeah. Yeah, summer all year, <laughs> and then I know, I know that it's a good hype when my partner goes to the theaters and start plugs his ears and closes his eyes during some of the previews because yeah. he doesn't want anything to be spoiled and gearing mm-hmm. up for no hard feelings. He was doing that for like the whole the whole time no. leading up to the. Film. That's good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know what I'm I'm excited for. We'll circle back after yeah. you watch Indiana Jones this week. Okay, let's do that because I. I you know, we watched Elemental recently. That was fun, but had, you know, topics of conversation. So, but, you know, everyone cried. So, so that, that was good. And then, yeah, we're going to go see indie and we're watching a bunch of TV as well. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Did I don't, know. I don't have the facts on this, but I hear that HBO, not HBO, that Max has, mm-hmm. is not releasing all of the episodes of The Idol. Good. I feel pissed off about that. I'm How, entertained wait. with the show, and I'm just okay. like, why, why, why hold back? Yeah. Like, why not just release it? It's HBO. As someone, who, as someone who's never watched Euphoria and The Idol, mostly because like that kind of content just makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah, like it's not that I don't think it's good. Just for me personally, I'm like, you know what? Not I do not, not want to watch. Tea abuse, you know, for lack yeah. of a better word. 
And so hearing about everything going on with Idol and how it's portraying a lot of things in a very, you know, in its own way. Yeah, I don't know. Tell me how you feel about it. Tell me how I, you really feel. <laughs> I think that it's not a perfect show, mm-hmm. but I'm watching it because I am very interested in the characters. And I think mm-hmm. the team behind it does a really good job making me care about the characters. Mm-hmm. And I think the performances are excellent. Mm-hmm. It looks beautiful. There's a character who plays one of Osis posse cult mm-hmm. followers. Her name's Chloe, played by Susanna's son, who has mm-hmm. this incredible voice. I think she's going to be a star after this. And I just think it's like taking big swings, which I appreciate. It's a controversial story, but like yeah. that's drama, that's storytelling. And True. They're, they're also, I think, showing an interesting take on the film, on the music mm-hmm. industry. So yeah. um, okay. I'm here for it. And I'm pissed I, that they're cutting us short, cutting it short. I can't, I can't fight you on it. I haven't watched it. I'm not gonna. So I can't be like, no, you're wrong. But that's a, it's an interesting take, and and I support you in in it. And yeah, I mean, if you make something, release it, you know. But I don't know. Maybe what's bumping me yeah. is that in this time of streaming, there is power for mm. things to disappear. Yeah. And so I hope that, and that's what scares. That's what scares me. So I, I'm curious, actually, and this could be a conversation that we follow up on after we have some time to think about it. But like, should we start buying Blu-rays now? Like, should we really make a concerted say, effort? I, 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 every time a movie comes out that I'm like, mm, I want it. I want to watch it all the time. I buy, I buy, buy, I buy a Blu-ray of it. So I have Tenet, buy it, I buy a lot of a Blu-ray of Tenet. And then I have the last Star Wars movie, a couple of Star Wars movies, mostly because I love behind the scenes stuff for those kind of things. Yeah. And you don't really like, they, those things disappear, mm-hmm. you know? And if it's digital, you know, like, you know, Apple could go out of business and like all the movies, you know, it's not going to happen, but like all the movies could disappear, you know? Yeah. Licensing is weird. And, you know, buy, you know, your stuff in, um, what's it called? In physical media, buy a record. Go buy a record, everybody. I went and bought a record from a, a guy named Marty O'Reilly, small time musician, tours, you know, the West Coast. Great voice. Go buy his record. Shout out to M- Marty Done. O'Reilly. Done. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for catching us up on all things tech. Thank and thank you on. to our listeners for tuning in. You can like, rate, and subscribe to the No Film School podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also drop us a line. We love hearing from you. We love mm. feedback. We're here for you. So we want to know what you want. Send it our way. What questions do you have? You can email us podcast at nofilmschool.com. And you can follow us on social media at nofilmschool. And you can follow us on our website, nofilmschool.com. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Take care, everyone. Mm